Welcome back to Talking Dairy, where we dive into the most important topics on the minds of New Zealand dairy farmers. Now, nitrogen fertiliser is an important part of farming, but reducing it and being smart with its use is critical, both for environmental and economic reasons. On today's podcast, we're chatting with Waikato Shiamuka Chris Newman, who with his wife Rachel is implementing a number of strategies to both reduce their end fertiliser use and their end losses, which they see as going hand in hand. Find out about the changes they've made, why they've made them, and what kind of results they're seeing. We also discuss some of the big picture stuff, like what sustainability means to Chris, and the perspective he wants his kids to have of dairy farming. So as farmers around the country are looking at ways to reduce their end use, we hope this podcast provides a bit of food for thought. Let's get into it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the Talking Dairy podcast. We really appreciate you giving up your time today. Yep, no worries. You're welcome, yeah. Hey, just for a bit of context to start with, can you tell us a little bit about uh, where you farm, you and Rachel, where you farm, and how long you've been there, how many cows you're milking, and that, that sort of thing? Um, so we came onto this property in 2012, 50-50 share milking. We did our first season, and then the farm was sold. My parents actually bought the farm off the previous owner. So did one year with one owner, continued share milking for my parents. And then in 2018, we actually decided to put equity into the property as well. So we bought an equity share into the property. After many, um, quite a bit of researching and looking at um, trying to buy a small farm on our own, whilst keeping the 50-50 share milking job running alongside to help cash flow that, we sort of looked at the whole picture and decided, no, we wanted just to focus on what we were doing on this farm. Got the scale here. So we were yeah, milking 700 cows on them just under 200 hectares effective, 193 hectares effective. And yeah, running a system four operation, main inputs being maize, PK. Yeah, so focus on sort of efficiency with a fairly reasonable cost structure, driving profitability at the end of the day. Yeah, how far from Te Aumutu are you? So we're about 10 kilometres out of Te Aumutu. So the farm's situated sort of the southwestern side of Te Aumutu. So we're up against the Waipa River probably um, one of the higher points in the Pokeru area. Yeah, sort of about 15 kilometres from Otorohonga. Okay, sure. And, and did you grow up in that in that area, Chris? I grew up in uh, Rotorangi myself. Uh, Rachel, my wife, was uh, sort of spent her teenage years in Tipahu on a dry stock farm out there. So, yeah, we sort of know the area pretty well. Been, yeah, around school in, in Te Amaru for years. So, yeah, know quite a few people around the area. Rachel is a vet, is that correct? Yep, Rachel's a qualified vet. She's not practicing at the moment, but she's um, doing all her own farm work. And she has a few other people that she's done a bit of work for, picked up a bit of work for here and there. She's bought a, we bought a scanner this year so we can scan our own herd without having to um, hire the one from the clinic. Yeah, so that's sort of keeping her busy with that and dehorning. And she's also um, become an author last year. So she's of a children's book. So that's kept her pretty busy as well. So yeah, mm. then you going on um, in, amongst the kids. Raising, raising two, two boys and, and all of that as well. So, yeah. Is that the, the children's book she wrote? Was that for your for your children? Oh, and yeah, that was um, 100% inspired by the kids. So, um, yeah, it's based on a little David Brown tractor that we, we bought on farm for um, just mowing the roadside firms <laughs> and that sort of thing around the Tanga track. And um, the kids love it because it's something unique and old. And, and um, yeah, sort of inspiration just hit and where she went with it and, 
before you know it, we've got it got published and got thousands of copies sitting in the shed. And yeah, excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's that's cool. Chris, before we get into talking about your in use, it'd be cool to just have a bit of context about your farm uh, in terms of you know what are the main goals of your business. And, and also, what does sustainability mean for you? I know that's quite a big question, but if yep. you're happy to have a go at those. Yeah, so goals around our business, we're strongly focused on running a sort of efficient system, productive, profit-driven. We're looking out for the environment. So we're trying to we're trying to drive profitability, but not at the expense of the environment. And alongside doing all this, we want to have a um, supportive mentoring workplace where, you know, staff are learning and can progress within the industry and uh, yeah, all that sort of thing, as well as balance out um, time off with the kids and family and putting all that into perspective. Yeah, sure. So that's sustainability. Yeah, I suppose I see, see that word as sort of meaning not mining the resources that we have. So I suppose if, if we're improving the amount of topsoil on our property, leaving it in a better position for the next generation, I suppose that's sort of sustainable sustainability to me. And then amongst that is trying to basically reduce our emissions, reduce fossil fuel use, like those things are happening as we're farming anyway. So I suppose it's just a moving a moving time really. Yeah, that's cool. So Chris, on to the subject of today. Talk to me about like when did you start reducing your end fertilizer inputs and what was the main motivation behind that? To give you some numbers. 2019-20, we used 157 kilograms of hectare. This season, just been 2021, we reduced to 137 kilograms per hectare. So it wasn't the prime focus. The prime focus, or more of the focus, was probably on the end that we were using to use it more efficiently and get a bigger response mm. from the end, therefore reduce our losses and improve our efficiency. So rather than looking at it as in just reducing in and cutting it out, because that's obviously an easy solution, but there's going to be a flip side, which is reduced profitability if you go too aggressively on that direction. So that's sort of what we've done a little bit in the season been. And I suppose what drove that a little bit is our end loss in 2018-19 was 50 kilograms per hectare. And then last year's report in 2019-20 went up to 64. Nothing had really changed systematically. Our efficiency and that report too had dropped 5%. Sort of got us thinking, like, what's going on here? Do we have faith in the numbers or do we not? Yeah, we sort of ran with that and thought, well, from what we were already doing, try and make some improvements and see where it leads, which will hopefully um, show in some evidence from the previous season's report that we will be waiting for shortly. So once it's all processed. So it was primarily sort of the in loss that was the, the driver, right? Looking at those numbers. Looking at the end loss and the in the inefficiency, yeah, because um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a, there's a, it's twofold really. Like reducing the end loss is you're improving things for the environment, but then you're also using a resource that you've put into the system and getting something back from it. To improve those efficiencies, what kind of strategies have you used? What changes have you made? As far as like applying nitrogen, so it's in the form of urea, we've changed a little bit of our application timing so applying a bit more prior to grazing when the conditions are suit so up to five days prior to grazing and then also just trying to make sure that we've got that sort of good two to three week period 
after application for a good response time or more in the um, in the winter, obviously, with um, longer rotations. So that was quite a big one around the um, applying urea. And then as well as that, trying to avoid camp areas. So just making staff aware if they're applying in, where the camp areas are, what they look like, generally the areas that you might end up, say, topping or struggle to get residuals. So, yeah, turning the spreader off on those areas or just completely just driving around them. Basically, what that's doing is if we're applying urea at a rate of, say, 60 kilos on four hectares, if we cut off half a hectare or a hectare of that paddock, we've straight away reduced that rate by sort of 20, 25%. So that's made quite a difference. So now when we sort of work out our application rate of urea, we're targeting sort of 55 to 60 kilograms per hectare as it's coming out the spreader. By the time we work out our average rate on the hectares of the total areas of those paddocks done, it sort of more works out to be about 45. So just by reducing the load on some of those heavy loaded areas from the um, urine and that sort of thing. So that's probably a key one. I'm, I'm hoping to see that sort of runs through in the um, in the reports. And as far as um, like effluent, we've always been pretty um, vigilant with effluent about timing as far as soil wetness and that sort of thing goes and not not applying um, when soils are saturated and as well as that in the summer aiming to put effluent on like early in the morning or late in the evening so when you're not getting that heat of the day evaporating and um, losing your end through that yeah sort of do that where we can also putting the effluent so like we've got a three million litre pond or three and a half million litre pond applying it before you lose your pasture to um, moisture stress I think that probably makes quite a difference because you actually get your response to the moisture and the end as well, rather than just seeing it green up a little bit. The nitrogen probably just sits there and, and evaporates. So yeah, so that's been a bit of the key, couple of the key things. Something else we did last year, so we had been growing about six hectares of maize on the property the last couple of years. Last year we tried strip tillage for the first time. The aim was to reduce some erosion, some soil erosion, as well as soil testing on that block determined we didn't need any synthetic nitrogen applied there so we just did effluent only. Chris these strategies that you've adopted where did you get them from did you speak to somebody did you do a bunch of reading I'm interested in knowing how you learned these efficiency steps that you've made. Some of it's a little bit of common sense as well as yeah like we did pick up things I think I went to a DRNZ tiller talk group and picked up a few things about nitrogen application timings how long it takes before it responds and that's where I sort of started doing it up to five days pre-grazing as well as that um, probably just hearing from experts in the field really is over the years of um, discussion groups and primary ITO and that sort of thing so yeah I'm quite a numbers person if there's um, science behind it I'm sort of I'll follow through it a lot more. Has it been difficult has it required a lot more thinking and planning to do these things? No well, we've sort of like a lot of these things we've sort of been doing already but I suppose it's just been a little bit more aggressive on them in the last year or so, just because of those numbers in that report and sort of really wanted to improve them. Yeah. Um, and did you say you've got some staff? Yeah. So we employ two full-time employees. We've got a 2 IC and a farm assistant, and then um, sure. we employ a fixed-term person over carving. And, and they've got their head around what you're doing and what the goal is? Yeah. So we're pretty vigilant with the training when – People start off, especially like with the irrigator and that sort of thing, make them pretty aware of the environmental restrictions and um, constraints that we have with that. 
I'll check up on them quite often and just make sure that that, that effluent's being applied and that maintenance is kept up on the irrigator and that sort of thing. And I'm out there doing it as well, the effluent. So like if something's wearing or breaking, I'm seeing it often before it's too late and there's a big pond in the paddock sort of thing. We're pretty vigilant with that. Chris, based on your experiences so far and what you've learned, are there any tweaks that you're going to be making in future? Probably just continuing more of what we're already doing. I know there's a bit of research around plantain and pastures and that sort of thing. Sort of a little bit interested in looking in that, more so for for like emissions and that sort of thing. Those are sort of avenues I'm sort of looking down, like DRNZ is bringing out a bit of of information about options around, yeah, reducing emissions and um, reducing nitrate footprint and that sort of thing, as well as like, yeah, there's a few options out there. You know, you got you, you go down your breeding option, breeding cows that have a lower end output or a lower methane output. But there's always a flip side to all those things. And I suppose it's weighing up what's more important at that time. For now, we're just focusing on what we're doing on farm, applying nitrogen and that, and um, seeing how these numbers pan out over this next season. Yeah, so on those numbers, what kind of reductions have you seen so far? It's sort of too early to say we need to finish the reporting for 2021 season and then have that come through to get a real idea on how things have gone. But I mean, like, yeah, straight away with 20 kilos less of nitrogen applied, I'm, I'm hoping that it's going to be there's going to be some significant improvement there. And especially considering we did um, grow quite a bit more pasture last season than the previous years, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. But from in the feed budgets, we had a wicked winter early spring last year, grass galore, followed through by a really reasonable summer, summer autumn. Yeah, I'm hoping that um, figures will be pretty good. Yeah, that's great. Chris, how are you recording where and when that you're applying your end fertiliser? Because obviously that's going to be important going forward is to be able to report on your, your end use. How are you doing that so far? So we have a, um, a farm map in the tractor for synthetic nitrogen, so urea. Every time the spread is loaded, it's recorded on the back of the farm map how much has been put in. And then at application, we just mark each paddock, say, with an A or a B, or, and then record how much went on that date, and then what the average rate worked out for that period as well. Once that map sort of fairly filled up, we just print off another map. I fold that in the office and tally up those amounts. So we have tried putting on like mine, land and feed and use it that way too, but it's just fine. It sort of doubles up because we sort of need to use the map anyway because next time you go apply in, you just need a quick visual to go off. So we've sort of found that works quite well, just keeping it basic really. That's for urea and then all the effluent is recorded similar similar way. We've got a map at the cow shed in a folder. Every time a pack's completed, it's the date's entered on that map. We'll also enter in a bit of detail around the application speed. So our irrigator has an electric solar panel system where you, where you can set the speed that it runs on its run. So often we'll have it on say, either 40 metres or 60 metres per hour. So we'll record that speed and sometimes if comments about whether if the pond was low, then the effluent would be heavier. So I'd make notes on there just so I'd get an idea if that paddock had a heavy loading of effluent then or not. So with our soil testing that sort of come through that sort of be adequate with K. Cool. Have you always been a numbers guy? Yeah, I've always been into the numbers detail. <laughs> Probably uh, sort of runs in the family a little bit. But yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that sort of recording, have you been doing that for a long time anyway? Yeah, yeah, we've been doing that sort of the whole time I've been farming really like that. So yeah, recording's key really. Information's useless if you've got if there's no um 
reporting behind it. Like um, if you've just got your fairy bits here and there, it doesn't mean anything really. So you, you need to have all or nothing really. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Chris, it's been a, a great chat. I just wanted to finish with a, a kind of big, big picture philosophical question. When your kids are, are growing up, how do you want them to describe you as a farmer? Yeah, so that's quite an interesting question. Been, um, it's been quite a bit of thought going to that one. Sort of kept coming back to the word supportive. Yeah, there's lots of different um, ways to describe what you would want them to think of you as a farmer. Little things like hardworking and profitable and um, yeah, driven and all those sorts of things. But supportive sort of kept coming back to that. So I suppose like we're in an industry, we're supporting an industry for good, driving food around the world. We're trying to support the environment where we can. We're planting trees. Every year we're sticking 500 to 1,000 trees down around drains and fencing off and doing rough here and planting, that sort of thing. We support employees and would do the same for our kids too. If they were interested in farming, we'd support them, however that shall be. And I suppose like when I see my kids older, I'd want them to be going to school, talking to their peers and saying, you know, like farming is a cool industry. We're not polluting the river and that sort of thing. So of how I want my, would want to see my kids at school, I suppose, yeah. I love it. That's an awesome answer. Thanks, Chris. It's really cool. Hey, mate, thanks so much for your time. For anyone listening, uh, can have a listen, uh, have a read of an article about Chris and Rachel in Inside Dairy, August, September, where they're talking a bit more about this topic as well. But, Chris, thanks so much for giving up your time. Really appreciate you, you coming on the podcast today. If there's any farmers out there, they've got young kids, have a look at Tractor Dave, have to look it up online and uh, yeah, you'll find Rachel's book on there. <laughs> uh, good shout out. Nice yeah. one, Chris. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate okay. it. Cool. Cheers, man. Thanks for tuning into Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms.